0: Good morning. Good morning. I'm uh, Denise Gouch, and as always I am delighted to be here with you. So I um I told Jill I was going to talk about perfection and connection. My title's gotten a subtitle yeah. since then and other troublesome ideas. <laughs> so um, yeah. We'll see where this goes. So when I, in my mind, okay, I really wanna start this. Somebody and I, a friend and I were having a conversation recently um, and the idea of perfection came up. And I realized in the course of this conversation that um, I tend to be a perfectionist. That's, that's just wired into my personality. Um, and um, I still get hooked by that perfectionism. I, I mean, I, I find myself trying to do things perfectly. Um, and I also find, I really think growing older is really great um, because the older I get, the more I'm able to let go of some things. Like, like that perfectionism doesn't have the same pull on me. I am not afraid of not being perfect the way I used to be. I just kind of go, oh yeah, there's that perfectionism again. I know that people value me and love, love me for many other reasons. I know there is, there is um, something much more important about who I am and how my life goes than being perfect in any given thing or even overall. And that, that thing is connection. And if you have heard me give a sermon or two or ten, you know that I tend to always bring things around to the idea of con- interconnection or our seventh principle, which uses the language of interdependence. Um, I tend to, I like interconnection. I'll, I'll talk a little more about that later. Um, and somehow this... Um, As I get older lots of things I kind of used to think I know knew either they don't matter or I'm aware of how they don't quite fit reality so much or or I just don't care anymore and what I know what I really know what I feel in every fiber of my being and I and in my body every I don't feel myself at the level of the cells, but if I did, I would know it in every cell of my body. Um, that that everything is connected, not just we, but you know, the floor and I are connected somehow. And 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 more base at a more basic level than just the fact that I'm standing on it and it's holding me up. There's you know there's gravity. There's the molecules we're all made of, the atoms, the gases, the stardust, the Everything is connected, so perfection, yeah it's an idea, it's a thing. I don't think about it very much. Um, One of the things I have thought about more in the last, I can't remember, maybe a year or so ago, I happened onto a book, it was less than a year ago, called, the title is Normal Sucks. has a subtitle, How to Live, Learn, and Think Outside the Lines. Um, And it was written by somebody who now would probably, I don't, I can't remember if he uses, I think he does in this book. Um, I read it a while ago. Um, I think he may claim the title neurodivergent, but certainly other people who use that word nowadays would go, oh yes, this is a neurodivergent person. Um, Ended up in special education as a child Um, But very very smart and but anyway, he wrote this book called Normal Sucks and there was there was so much in this book. He very irreverently kind of builds this case for the fact that the concept of normal just doesn't even really make sense. It normal Histori- and he starts with before the 19th century, but especially in the in the tw- 19th century, when normal started to be used as a concept that related to statistics, the gathering of statistics and finding an average of them, and thinking that that meant something about reality. Um, but there's um, there really quickly becomes sort of. Well, how do you know what's normal? Well, it's it's what is not not normal. So, along with thinking about normal and trying to figure out how that's useful to use that, you automatically have the arriving the arising of a, a concept of abnormal, not normal. And he says there's also in that idea of normal, there's always the idea of even even behind the you know the so-called objectivity of numbers and facts, there's he says I'm just going to quote. There lingers the wish for something better than real life, something greater than ourselves. One of the, and he's he's actually referring to the work of um, Adolf Quetelet, I think. Spelled Q-U-E-T-E-L-E-T, I believe he was French. He was a statistician who kind of was the first person to kind of like gather statistics about the human being, you know, height and weight and measurements and all of that. Um, and he's seeing that there's, when, when, when Quetelet talks about the average man, and it is man, yeah, he has early in the book, he says, gender alert, all these guys were white men. Um, <laughs> as he is himself, actually, um, I think. I assume. I don't really know. Um, Quetelet says, oh, the average man, and he describes something that's kind of like perfect. It's an ideal. It's actually not an average man. It's, it's just a not, not normal in the statistical sense person. It's, it's, it is the norm in a statistical sense, which nobody can be. <laughs> you know um, he, he tells he tells about uh, some uh, somebody some oh, um some sta- I think it was the Ohio State Fair sorry can't remember for sure they decided to have a contest and find Norman and Norma the male and female who, this was this was this was in the 20th century but who sort of fit all the statistics for measurements and you know who, who is like the right height and the right proportions and is the normal man and the normal woman well they found one of each but then they had to say they weren't really normal they didn't match the measure. The, the closest they could get doesn't match the measurements doesn't match the norm of all the measurements of all the real people so, normal is, the idea of normal carries with it an idea about um, something that is not who we are. And so, if we need to be normal, we need to somehow not be ourselves. It's, it, it's an automatic sort of call to transcend who we are somehow. It's a self-negation. Um, This is Jonathan Mooney, by the way, I didn't say who the author, he's the author of Normal Sucks. Um, And so he says this, this history shows how normal became the normal we live with now, a mashup of the standard, average, perfect ideal. Not something to aspire to, but as something to be. A constantly shifting, expanding horizon we are told to chase. An impossible ideal you're supposed to embody and the, the idea of normal is all of these things. So you are clearly supposed to be normal, or it's preferable to be normal, right? Um, and yet, we all have reminders all the time of ways in which we're not normal. Um, if you're a parent you take your children to the pediatrician, they weigh them, they measure them, they tell you how they're not on the curve they're supposed to be on sometimes. <laughs> um, my children at various points didn't follow the curve. They both grew to their 20s anyway. So it's OK, I guess. But it, it felt in the moment like, "Oh my goodness, what do we, yeah, what do we do? Well, there's nothing you could do. You get, it's, you're not going to be normal in every respect, and you're supposed to really want to, and you won't be able to be, and there's nothing you can do about that. And, and this strikes me as being somewhat like perfectionism. Now, there are some, um, you know, like in, in Christian theology, for instance, and I'm using that one because it's the, the religious system I'm most familiar with, there is this idea that only God is perfect. So that, that leaves you some room for that. But if you're going to sort of leave theism behind and invest heavily in science and modern, modern thought, you get you get all you the best you got is this idea of normal which turns out i and i'm convinced some people would probably read this book and not be convinced that normal sucks automatically but um i'm convinced by mooney's arguments um then you're kind of stuck and he points out and i think this is um this is really profound that this idea of normal and our attachment to it as a culture is always, always, quote, propped up by and constructed on the bodies and lives of the not normal. And he does talk about, he has certain professions, you could come up with a list of them, who are kind of heavily invested in or people are hired to actually figure out Who's normal and who's not normal? And what do we do with the not normal people to make them as much like normal as possible? And and I don't, these are all the typical helping professions. Ministers probably fit in there really well, now that I think about it. Um, and I don't, I don't want to denigrate the helping professions just out of hand, because a lot of those people do a lot of good for for a lot of people and are good-hearted and not necessarily on the wrong track in what they are doing at all. And there is this thread in our culture that says there is a thing we're supposed to be that we are not, or that we need to make sure we don't look like we're not. Um, I don't know, I I spent a lot of my, uh, my 20s maybe, trying to make sure I looked okay. Um, I think I mentioned earlier, because I mentioned my father, he died a long time ago. He died when I was in college. And I was, I'm the eldest child in my family, and I was always very aware of when I went home, my mother, I thought, I don't know if this is even true or not, I felt like my mother needed me to be okay. So I spent a lot of years every time I went home, being okay, which is again, that's another kind of normal. Um, if, if I was struggling, I didn't want her to have to know that, um, or I, I thought I was supposed to be independent. Now that I'm a parent of children that age, I'm finding, oh, wait, <laughs> you don't have to do it the way I did it. I can help you a little. <laughs> it's, it's very interesting, but I got that sense that, you know, I was an adult. I was out of the house, I was living on my own, especially after I was out of college, I was paying my own way, and I was supposed to show up for my family, not needing them, not needing, you know, is a big point to go visit my family, but I wasn't supposed to need them. That's to me what normal meant um, in that time, in, the, in my, in my mid 20s, uh, early mid. Um, And and I think that idea of normal and perfect shows up in lots of different ways for different people. You may not have ever had a period like that. Um, But I'll bet you've had something somewhere in your life where you're aware of a thing you're supposed to be that you're not quite. And what do you, you know... That there's pressure, do you, do you sort of take on the project of performing that normal or that more perfect or or what? Our culture doesn't really give us other options. Not normal is typically tracked for fixing and these days you can just swipe on your phone to Mr. Google who will show you lots of listicles, 12 ways you're doing this wrong, and three ways to get it right. Um, it's always more wrong than right, it seems to me. Um, or or you, can, um, you can find plenty of books about all, with all sorts of advice. So perfectionism, um, well, I made a quick list of how I think perfectionism shows up in our lives and in our culture, both. It's, there's a, a concern for fixing problems, and um, especially in what I'm hoping is late stage capitalism, um, the selling and buying of fixes. There's, you know, one of the sentences in Mooney's books is, you know, the businesses, the corporations figured out that the best way to sell something is to convince you you're not normal. Convince those people, that they're not normal, and you have a product that will fix that for them. <laughs> um, I And I forget where I heard it, but I heard it way back, decades ago, that anxiety, no, I'm sorry, advertising does not work if people are not anxious. Think about that for a minute. And The advertising just won't hook you unless it can make you anxious about something, something you don't have a need or something you are not but might be if you had the right kind of supports that, by the way, have a price tag on. That's how advertising works and it doesn't work otherwise. So perfectionism is, becomes about fixing problems. Um, there's a whole personal growth industry. Again, you probably can't open your email inbox without bumping into that. Um, There's this uh, sense of dissatisfaction with what is that just sort of becomes commonplace. It's normal. It's almost seen, I think, sometimes it's seen as being arrogant to be happy. We we apologize to each other for being happy when there's so much pain and suffering in the world. That's interesting. Um, Or we show up to be in groups of other people and sometimes hesitate to be exactly as happy as we are. Because um, there's a sense uh, we might be um, not being compassionate and empathetic because supposed we're supposed to be dissatisfied because we're not normal enough. Nobody's that good. Nobody's that perfect, right? Um, there's a lot of comparison. I think that's already come out in some of what I've said um and a lot of judgment to compare things is one thing and and um, Jonathan Mooney's book talks a lot about that the problem isn't that people are different from each other the problem is that we label some of those things some of those differences distinctly abnormal we pathologize them so uh, this whole concept of normal was arising in Western European culture at the same time as medicine became more than leeches and barbering, um, and statistics was coalescing as a discipline. The, actually, all the, the academic disciplines were, were coming together, and um, so there's a lot of this sense of judging things and putting th- needing to put things in order which again can be a really wonderful, I've spent a lot of my life sort of figuring out how things are ordered and oh, these categories and this is all really interesting, right? But when difference always becomes a one up, one down, then we've we've got, I I think that is very troublesome. Um, Perfectionism also leads us into overwork, Um, I've been, I've been very guilty of overwork, but the next one on my list is overlearning. <laughs> I've done a little of that. Um, it also leads to, well, these listicles I've uh, mentioned, you know, on the on articles mostly online that are actually lists. They usually have numbers. Nine ways you can, or nine ways you are. You can is almost always the ones that will make you more perfect you are is usually the things that are keeping you from being good enough. You know, you're all, you're doing this. So many, so many articles actually have wrong in the title these days, I think, you know, three ways you're doing this wrong. Maybe I spend too much time just looking at what Google puts in front of me. Could be. I've stopped doing it quite so much, but it's, it's really curious to me how, how all that works. So we, we have collections or off, offerings. I would I would urge you not to collect them. I have done that. And frankly, you know, I copy them out and I write them and I file them away and never look at them again. I find them 10 years later. It's like, oh, yeah, there's all new lists now. Um, but we, could, we we gather, we are offered techniques and tips and tricks and hacks. And I can see that on some days and some years of my life having been really demanding, high pressure. Um, And I question the whole project. So I'm back in this conversation over coffee with a friend who's asking me about perfectionism. It's the thing that scares this friend is some sort of sense That what she is meant to be is somehow someone, something more perfect than she is. And she's like, don't you ever feel that? And I thought, and I was like, well, yeah, I used to feel that way a lot. Again, yay for getting older. We should all be so lucky. Um, And I'm not saying you have to be older. It's just some of us learn slowly. Um, So, so what has become more obvious to me than the idea that the project of improving myself is worth my loyalty has become the conviction that recognizing the inherent connection of everything is more important and more worthy of my attention, my time. Um, It's why I come here and preach sermons and I get to use that word all the time. Um, it's, It's why you use gather. We gather to be together because we know we need to be connected to each other. And we know the world needs us to be connected to it. And we know that that's really hard because the 16,322 ways you're doing things wrong. Get to be really heavy, and maybe here we can convince each other to lay them down for a little bit and think about how we are connected. And if we are connected, and if love is more real than all the ways we are not perfect, what do we need to do to go out in the world and share that good news? I think that's, that is is real powerfully one of the great good news uh, I don't want to call it a news item. It is the good news. It is it is one of the ways of stating the good news that Unitarian Universalism has to share with the world. So how do we go out and say, look, when you stop and think about how we are all connected, and I don't mean just all we humans. I This connection I'm talking about is, it's like I said, I I'd always go to the stardust because that's like the farthest thing away from my reality I can think of. But the trees, the bugs, the birds, the clouds, the, the soil, the, the roots of the trees and the way the trees talk to each other through other organisms that live right alongside their roots. And it's all amazing. It's all astonishing and it, it's all connected to me and it's all connected to the choices I make. If I throw away a plastic bottle even if I keep it forever, eventually it's going to end up in the ocean. That, that kind of connection, which is, connection's hard. It's, a, it's not just a feel-good kind of way to think about things. It's also strenuous in the sense that if, if everything is connected, then everything is potentially important. And if everything is connected, it could be just as true that reality has my back, as that reality is waiting for me to do the perfect thing in relationship to all this connection. Does that make sense? Does that, is that, you know, I don't have to be perfect to be connected. I w- I, uh, this is an old, y- y'all, y'all who have heard me for a few years know this is a really old topic for me, this connection thing. Um, when I was in divinity school, Um, My senior project was about connection, really. Um, I I said it was about autonomy, Um, but it was really about connection. And we we had to work in little groups, small groups, where we shared our drafts and people talked about it. And one of my classmates said, well, so what if I don't want to be connected? (laughs) Um, Tough. And I and I ended up realizing, oh, oh, I'm not trying to be prescriptive here. I'm trying to be descriptive. I just really believe that's the way things are. You know, my body doesn't work if chemistry doesn't work. My body doesn't work if I don't have food to eat. My body is only here because my parents' bodies were here, um, and my and their parents and their parents and their parents. <coughs> um, we are connected. I just, this I believe, this is the thing it comes down to, um, that, that I believe. Let me see where we are. Oh, I should stop. So I think it's, you know, I have notes about the the word interdependence and I could, yeah, anyway, that was an eight put, an eight page, um, it's not, not eight pages of notes here, but it was in my project. It was an eight page um, study of all the words and all the stuff and Kitty would love it, I know. (laughs) But, um, I like connection better than independence. And it's at the, it's the, that Latin root pendere, which means to hang that I don't like because hanging always feels precarious one way or another. So even, even when you put qualifiers around it, like interdependent, I think, I don't know. I just like connection feels more like, what it is I'm talking about. Um, yeah. So I would submit, and we can talk about it later, I'd love to, um, that perfection is, at the end of the day, unattainable. It's, it's always a goal, it's never an end, unless you're God in classical theology. It's a nice idea, it's really sparkly, you know, we love to tell each oh, you're just so perfectly that beard is so perfectly your beard, Ryan. You know, it's it's a sparkly idea. It's a friend. It sounds like a friendly word. Um, it's attractive, perfect is attractive, but it's definitely not messy. It's not messy, and life is messy. The world is messy. We need a better concept if we're gonna like make something a goal and a guiding post. For us, a light um, perfection maybe is not the right choice because it just doesn't match reality well enough for us. And if you do happen to attain something like perfection, like don't get cocky about your beard because it won't look that way tomorrow. Um, If you get to perfection, if you attain it or even start to get close to it, it's easily lost. There are just so many ways to lose your number one ranking that your perfect perfectly groomed beard or the best pair of glasses ever or whatever whatever it's so easy to lose it connection on the other hand I will posit cannot be lost it can be mangled it can be used in ways that cause harm but it can't at the end of the day be lost it can't be utterly destroyed can't be you can't really leave it. You can leave a person's presence, but the fact the fact of their having been in your life will always be the truth about your life. It's really often messy. You know, we, we say it's complicated. That's what I mean by connection is, is messy. It's intimidating because if everything is connected, if everything matters, then everything matters. And sometimes small things matter. <laughs> And it starts sounding like maybe we need to do every choice perfectly because everything matters and so pull back from that pull back from that because connection won't fail even if You don't do the very best most perfect thing but connection There's there's not very much about the idea of perfection as a goal or a focus That is affirming ultimately, to most of us most of the time. But connection, to say we are all connected, it really is reassuring, I think. Everything, if everything is connected, everything is important. Everything is loved, to use UU language specifically. Everything is loved, everything belongs. Everything is worthy of dignity and respect. And so, I'll leave you there. And you can argue with me all you want a little bit later. Thank you.